um, that the title of the message is an authentic or the authentic Christian life. The authentic Christian life. I'd like to start off with an illustration and then uh, we'll go from there. So one Sunday, a lady was inviting children to come to Sunday school when she met a boy and asked him why he went so far past so many Sunday schools to get to his own. There are plenty of others, said she, just as good. He said, they may be so good, but they're not so good for me. Why not, she asked. She said, because they love a fellow over there, he answered. How easy it is to reach people through love. Those who are successful in showing men love will be, success, will be successful in winning them to Christ. I'd like to say that, you know, my family has experienced that love from Faith Baptist Church here in Jefferson City. You know, that love that you guys have shown has just been incredible on our entire family. The love shown from our teenagers the love shown from, from everybody here. We can't thank you all enough for your love. And Paul here in this passage that we're going to be looking in, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, he, he leaves the Philippian church here with a prayer, an important prayer, because though they expressed love to him, an incredible amount of love to him that he experienced just like I have, we can always be better. We can always be better. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is, I can't thank you all for the love you've shown me and my family, but can I encourage you to grow in that love? To grow in your relationship with Christ. To grow in, in the Christian life because we never quite reach where we're supposed to be. There's, there's no one in their life that can say, you know what, I'm done growing. I've made it. <laughs> right? We've never reached it. We never will. And my encouragement to this church is just continue to grow. Continue to grow. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. This prayer from Paul to the Philippian believers outlines how a believer can grow in their spiritual life. How they can grow in their spiritual life. It all begins with the believer growing in their love for God. And then, and when that happens in the Christian life, it affects every aspect of the Christian life. We're going to look at three ways we need to be authentic in our Christian life. Authentic love, authentic doctrine, and authentic Christian life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the great day I've given us, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for just the love they have shown just my family, Lord. And I just, I'm thankful for the love they show to each other. This church has been an incredible blessing to us, Lord. I pray that you just be with me as I preach this morning, Lord. Help me to preach your words, not my own. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Again, thank you for just being such a good God to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first point for this morning is authentic love. And I really believe Paul did this on purpose where, again, the building block to everything else in our Christian life is having that authentic love in our Christian life, that authentic love that we need to 
be constantly improving and growing. And because again, we can always be more loving people in all aspects of our life. We never reach it. There isn't like a level like, hey, you know, I can quit loving now. I've, I've, I've done enough. No, we, we need to get better. We can be better. And that should be the desire of every Christian in their Christian life to be better. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what stage you are in life. The goal should be to just grow constantly. Our love, first of all, needs to be to all. Our love needs to be to all. Paul recognized that the believers are loving people, but he's encouraging the believers to grow in their love. As we see in verse 9, it says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. You know, Paul recognizes here the love that's been shown to him. He's recognizing the love that he's shown, but then he's encouraging. Because again, that your love, he recognizes they're loving people. But he wants them to abound. He wants them to abound. We should love God, believers, and all people. All people. Our greatest example for love is Jesus Christ. And we should seek to love like he did. Jesus loves everyone so much that he laid down his life for all. What an example for love to us. That Christ loved us so much that he gave his life for us. There is no greater sacrifice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Not only does our love need to be all, and it's so important as a Christian that that love is shown to all, but it's also important that our love needs to be overflowing. Overflowing. Abounding means to overflow in this passage. The more believers grow in their knowledge of God and Christ through reading the Bible, the Bible, the greater their love grows for God. The greater their love grows toward God, the greater their love will grow for their fellow believers and other people. So the concept of abounding here is that, that our love for God is so overflowing in our life but that we can't but help naturally love everyone around us. Because our lives are filled with God's love. And when our life becomes filled with God's love, then our love should overflow past that. And our love should grow for other people just like Christ did. Christ loved all again. And that's that our love should be overflowing in the Christian life. The stronger our relationship with Christ is, the greater our love will be for the world around us. Our love needs to be growing. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And this I pray that your love may abound. But then he says this important phrase right after, Yet more and more. Yet more and more. It is so important in the Christian life that we are loving God, fellow believers, and other people around us. But it's important that that love is growing. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, it says this, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, 
and with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Again, we see the importance of love in the Christian life. It's the building block. It's the building block. So how do we come, become more authentic in our doctrine? Well, we grow in our love for Christ. How, we, how, how do we become more authentic in our Christian life? Well, we grow in our love for Christ. How do we grow in our love for other people? Well, we, we grow in our love for Christ. Matthew Henry in his commentary said, Those who abound much in any grace have still need to abound more and more because there is still something wanting in it and we are imperfect in our best attainments. Again, we don't reach it. You know, we should strive for the goal of well done, thou good and faithful servant, but we can always be a more faithful servant. We can always grow in that love. We don't know where that finishing line is. We just have to be growing as we strive for that line. It is so easy for us to get comfortable. And when we, and when we find ourselves on autopilot as Christians, we are supposed to be growing and improving in all aspects of our Christian life. When we find ourselves in autopilot, it becomes dangerous in our Christian life. Because the Christian life should always be progressing forward. Even when we pause where we are in a Christian life is dangerous. Because the tendency is when we start pausing and stopping moving forward, then we find ourselves start going back. So we need to progress in our Christian life. We need to be growing in our Christian life constantly. It is, uh, and as I mentioned before, when we are immersing ourselves in God's word, reading, meditating, and living, God's, God's word, our love for God will grow and it will, and will, it will affect all aspects of our life, all aspects of our life. And then we also see here in the, in the end of this passage in Philippians 1 verse 9, it says, yet more and more, and then it says at the end of this, it says, yet more and more in, in knowledge and in all judgment. And this is wise love. You know, we need to be wise in our love. Our love needs to be knowledgeable and discerning. It's important to understand that love should not be just emotional, but that it is grounded in truth. But that is grounded in truth. Love that is knowledgeable and discerning is grounded in the truth and the standards of the Bible. The Bible is our standard for love. Our standard for love is the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. That's what love is. John Phillips said this about love that is knowledgeable. Love is not to be mistaken for lust, nor does love operate without law. Love knows its limits. It knows where to draw the line. While we can love all men, we do not love all that they do. So our love has to be knowledgeable and discerning. And discerning. Not only are we to have authentic love, but it's so important that we are to have authentic doctrine. Authentic doctrine. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, That ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may approve things that are excellent. And we see this first sub-point under this is approve. Approve. 
The word approve in this passage means to test, approve, or discern. This part of the verse is stressing the importance of us testing things in the Christian life. I think of today all the new doctrine that is coming out. Or someone says, oh, I found this new thing in the Bible. Well, in the Christian life, it is important that we're testing everything according to God's word. We need to test everything. The word approve is used in reference to testing metals to determine its purity. So with this illustration, there are a lot of metals that on the surface look similar to gold. Centuries ago, people discovered that unscrupulous operators would take advantage of this to trick people into paying for worthless metal. So in order to determine whether gold was genuine or not, scientists devised an acid test. The item that is supposed to be gold is rubbed on a black stone, leaving a mark behind. Gold is what is called a noble metal, meaning that is resistant to the corrosive effects of acid. If the mark is washed away by the acid, then the metal is not real gold. If it remains unchanged, the genuine nature of the gold is proven. You know, we know how valuable gold is, right? So they have a test for it to make sure it's right. Well, as valuable as gold is, gold is only temporary. But our doctrine is way more valuable than gold. And it's important for us to realize in the Christian life that our doctrine needs to be tested. It needs to be tested to God's word. It needs to, it needs to be accurate. It needs to be right. And that is so important in the Christian life. The process, the process involving and in seeing if the metal is what it's supposed to be and is, is examining the things that differ to see if it can pass the test. If it is really gold, it will pass the test. If it is not, it will fail. We are to do the same thing in the Christian life. We are to carefully examine things and only approve things that pass the test. Only approve things that pass the test. Gold is tested by acid, and everything in the Christian life needs to be tested by God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works your bible doctrine is important it's more important than gold it's more important than anything in this world because again we want to we want to be accurate in God's word we want to be accurate in what we believe. So test it. Test it against God's word. And then we see an interesting word here at the end of this verse. In verse 10 it says, That ye may prove things that are excellent. You may prove things that are excellent. When I think of something that is excellent, I think it is, it is the best thing, right? This is not just your average thing. This is not something that is just good. But something that is excellent is the best is the best. Paul is not just telling us to discern what is good and bad, but he's telling us to determine what is the best. If you were given the option uh, in your life, if you can have something that's pure gold or you can have something that's plated gold, what would you choose? Because both are good, right? Plated gold still looks nice, but the inside's kind of 
It's empty, isn't it, <laughs> typically? But the pure gold is gold through and through. And when you look at the value of the two, you're always going to pick what's more valuable, aren't you? You're going to pick what's best. And that's what Paul is striving them to do, to pick what's best. You want the most accurate doctrine. You want what's right, what's perfect, what's the best. That's what you're looking for in the Christian life. This is what Paul is encouraging the believers. Don't just approve something that is good, but approve those things that are the best. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Paul first encouraged the believers to have authentic love. Now Paul is encouraging the believers to have authentic, authentic doctrine. Lastly, Paul is encouraging the believers to have an authentic Christian life. And again, all these three things we need to grow in. You know, I, I can't tell you enough how thankful I am for the doctrine here at Faith Baptist Church. I, I, I can't say that enough. You, you can't be in a better church that, again, that looks at God's word and makes sure that the doctrine is accurate. You know, I can't thank, thank the Lord enough for the love shown at this church. This love is an example to the world of what love should look like. And it's because of the love of Christ in all of you. And then our third point, again, is the authentic Christian life. First of all, the authentic Christian life is sincere and blameless. It's sincere and blameless. Sincere. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. That ye may prove things that are excellent. And then the second part of that verse, it says that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Sincere means to be tested by sunlight or to be pure. To be tested by sunlight or to be made pure. In Paul's day, when a sculptor made a mistake, so he's, he's, he's chiseling some kind of structure or some kind of sculpture of something. If he made a mistake, he mischiseled, they would fill it in with what's called a wax. And that wax, would, they would blend it just right so it looked just like the marble. So when someone buys that sculpture, they're thinking, hey, he did a great job. This is a perfect sculpture. But with the heat of the Mediterranean sun, eventually that wax would melt. And before it was too late, the buyer would be stuck with a flawed statue. Would be stuck with a flawed statue. Wise customers eventually wrote in their contracts that the sculpture was to be without wax and the workmanship must be sincere. Again, this is important because who wants to buy a sculpture they know is going to have a huge mistake in it. Nobody, <laughs> right? Nobody. And, and, and this was the comparison that he's making here. Paul is, it needs to be sincere. It needs to be without wax so that when you hold up to the sunlight, it's all what it's supposed to be. And when we compare that to our Christian life, we are to live sincere Christian lives. Our Christian lives, when looked at, shouldn't be without wax or mixture. It should be pure. It should be the way it should be. 
In Acts 24, 16, it says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscious void of offense toward God and toward men. A sincere Christian is not perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. That's the reality of life. But, uh, but our testimony is to be one like, like Noah did, where the world could find no fault in him. Our testimony needs to be like Daniel in the Bible, that when he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, and the only fault that the world could find in his life when he was, he, when, was when he prayed to God. That's the only fault they could find in his life. Again, it doesn't mean Daniel was perfect. It doesn't mean Noah was perfect. But it does mean that they had a blameless, reputa- blameless reputation to the world around them. That's what the sincere Christian life looks, looks like. When the world sees you, do they see a Christian? Do they see somebody that you have to, do they have to see someone that's a Christian just by how they live and they know they're a Christian? Or do they have to ask you if you're a Christian to even know you're a Christian? A sincere Christian life. The sincere believer is not corrupted in their doctrine or life. The sincere believer is genuine in their love for God, fellow Christians, and the world. We are to be genuine believers in every aspect of our Christian lives. The sincere believer is one that makes much of Jesus in everything they do. Their goal is to do all for God's honor and glory. That is the sincere believer. They know what their purpose is. They know what their goal is. They know that, that, that God desires for them to, to, to share the gospel, so they do it. They know their goal is to live according to the Bible, so they do it. A, a sincere believer is just not a hearer of the word, but they're a, a doer of the word. And that should be the goal in every Christian life, to be a doer of the word. And then we see here in the second part of this, uh, verse 10, it says, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So, how long are we supposed to be sincere for? Till Christ comes back. Till Christ comes back, or if you die before then, <laughs> right? That's how long we are to be sincere. We are to live sincerely and blameless till Christ returns. We are to live with an expectant attitude. Can I tell you, your citizenship, if you're a Christian today, it's not on this earth. This world is not your home. You're just a passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that is how the believer is supposed to be living with a citizenship in heaven, that they're expecting Christ's return, that they can't wait for Christ's return, that they're preparing themselves to live a sincere Christian life till Christ comes back. So when he comes back, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that they made much of Jesus. That should be the goal of every believer in their life. Christ can come back at any time, And we need to be ready. When you think about it, Christ can come back in 10 minutes. I may never make it to Faith Baptist Church in Delco, North Carolina, until Christ come back. And if that happens, I want to be be known as faithful to God. I want to get a well done now, good and faithful servant because of how I served here at Faith Baptist Church. You should want to get a well done now, faithful servant because, again, our goal is to, to live for Christ. As a Christian, that is our, our, our most important goal. 
are you doing it? You know, that's something we've got to ask ourselves. Are we, are we growing in our faithfulness for Christ? Are we, are we excited about Christ's return? And is that the priority, priority in our life? Because that needs to be. We should only grow in our expectancy of Christ. Look at the world around you. If, if you want to see evidences of Christ coming soon, it's all around us. It's all around us, and he can come at any time. And then we see in Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, is to be fruitful. So part of living an authentic Christian life is to live a fruitful life. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, says, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. So first of all, we see being filled with the fruits of righteousness. So we see the fruit. The fruit is of righteousness refers to a good life. Refers to a good life. Righteousness speaks specifically to doing what is right. To doing what is right. John Phillips put it this way in his commentary, commentary today. Today people ask, is this course of action expedient? Is it popular? Does it make me feel good? But the Christian must ask, is it right? Is it right? It's such a different thinking than what this world is. Is it right? That's how the Christian should live their life. Is it right? According to God's word, right? That this is where we make, where we have our guidebook, right? So is it right? According to God's word. So we see the fruit. The fruit is living a good life. You know, when the world sees us, we see he, they see people who live right, but then the source. So, so how do we live like we're supposed to? How do, how do, how do we be the Christians that, that God desires for us? Well, we, so, we see the source of the fruit in the Christian life here. The source of the fruits that we produce should be Jesus Christ. People do what we call good works. They give to charities. They're polite to people. They do neighborly things. They uphold their beliefs. They obey the laws and even go to church. And these are good things to do, but there's a big difference between the saved and the unsaved and good works they do. There's a huge difference. The world does good things because they're good things to do. And those works are often ruined by attitude, motivation, reasoning, right? Even we as Christians sometimes when we have the wrong added, we might be doing a good thing, but if we have the wrong motivation, then is it really a good thing? There is a difference in quality between the saved and the unsaved. The main differences are the source and reasoning. The saved do good works as a result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? We do good works and should desire to good works because we have the Holy Spirit in us that's driving us to do good things, right? In Philippians chapter 1, 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. While man's goodness is again flawed, Jesus' goodness is perfect and absolute. It never had ulterior motives. It never failed. It was never fake. It was always authentic. It was always authentic. 
In Acts chapter 10, verse 39, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Again, when Christ did did things, it was authentic. It was real. There was no ulterior motive in Jesus Christ. There was never an ulterior motive. He did what he did because he loved us. He did what he did because he wanted to glorify his Father in heaven. And that should be our goal. God viewed Jesus' life as perfect when he declared in Matthew 17, 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. This is important to understand because the same Jesus by his Holy Spirit, now lives in every born-again believer. And that's why it's so important to see in this passage, it says, um, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. It's not our works. It's important for us to realize that we're doing things for Christ's glory and honor, for God's glory and honor. So then we see We should live a life because we are saved and have a personal relationship. We should live a good life because we are saved and have a personal relationship with Christ, not the other way around. So the result of our good works that we are doing in our life should be a result of our salvation. Not we're doing good works to earn salvation because, again, uh, all of our works are as filthy rags, aren't they? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that do with good. So because we're saved, we're good, we do good works. Not we're doing good works to get saved because your works will never save you. And the Bible clearly says that. Works do not save. Salvation is a free gift. Just believe on the name of Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Works don't save you. A relationship with Christ saves you. And it's a free gift. You don't have to do anything. You just have to believe. You just have to believe. So can I urge you, if you're not saved today, the best decision you can make in your life, the most important decision you can make in your life is to have a personal relationship with Christ. Because you can't even do the right good works without having Christ in your life. Because ultimately, your motivation is selfish. But if you have Christ in your life, and then you're doing things for God's honor and glory. No longer yourself and self-motivation. Which brings us to our last section of this point is the reason. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? The other reason, there is a quality difference between the works of the unsaved and the saved of the source. And the other is the reason. As Christians, we do not do good works to get people's attention or approval to earn salvation because they are good things to do. They, because they, they, they are good things to do, there should be one and only reason why the Christian does good things, and that is to the glory and praise of God. 
which brings us to our this last section of this verse. It says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Here comes the reason for our good works. This is why we do what we do as Christians. This is why we make, make much of Jesus in everything we do. Because we want to bring praise and glory to God in everything we do. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. That was the testimony of Jesus, and he did it to, to and he and it needs to be our testimony too. In John chapter 8, verse 29, it says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do these things that please him. It can be easy in the Christian life to fall back into doing things for the wrong reasons. Because we still have the old man that we have. Right? You know, our goal should always be to do things for the glory and honor of God. But we're sinful humans, aren't we? So we do sometimes find ourselves doing things for the wrong reasons. Well, are we going to receive rewards in heaven for doing things for the wrong reasons? No, because we're doing it for ourselves. Could God still get glory and honor regardless of our selfish motives sometimes? Yes. But this is a reminder in our Christian life that as we live for Christ, in everything we do, our goal needs to be glorify our Savior, Amen. to glorify God. You know, again, and this comes back to what I said in the beginning is, it's easy to find ourselves comfortable. It's easy to become stagnant in the Christian life. But that's not good enough. You know, we have a calling from God to grow in everything we do. Yet more and more, as Paul says, when he talked about the love in the beginning of this, of this passage. And that should be our goal in our Christian life, in any aspect of our life. Our love, our doctrine, and our life. It needs to be growing. It needs to be flourishing. Flourishing. Not flurrying, that's what we're going to get tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but again, I, I, when it comes back to it and, and talking about these three points, I am thankful for all these things, all these things at Faith Baptist Church. Because Faith Baptist Church does all these things and they do them well. You know, their doctrine, the doctrine here is excellent. The love here, I, I can't even describe the love. You know, looking back through all those pictures and just all the memories of just the love you guys have shown us. It just, I'm speechless. And then just the Christian life you all exemplify here. You know, I know we're not all perfect, but you all are, have been an example to me. You know, I've learned so much here for my next step in life. Again, I can't say enough how thankful we are for you and, and your love and the love you have shown my family the last five and a half years. Can I continue with this? Can I encourage you with this? Grow. Love even more. There's going to be new people coming here and visiting this church. Love them even more. Grow in your love for them. You need it. You know, at the end of the day, we all need it. We all need more love, don't we? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that, you know, you can get enough love. No, we all need more, so give more. And you also receive more. 
So give more love. Grow in your doctrine. Grow in your love for Christ. Grow in your Christian life. I'd like to end with this illustration here. It says, between an airplane and every form of locomotion and transportation, there is one great contrast. The horse and wagon, the automobile, the bicycle, the locomotive, the speedboat, and the great battleship all can come to a standstill without danger. Can, they, they can, and they can all reverse their engines or their power to go back. But there is no reverse about the engine of an airplane. It cannot back up. It dare not stand still. If it loses its moment, momentum in forward drives, then an airplane crashes. It crashes. The only safety for the airplane in its forward is in its forward and upward motion. That's its only safety. Forward and upward. That's all their safety is. If he stops or if he begins to slip and go backwards, that, moment, that momentum, he is in danger. Again, and this is also for the Christian life. The only safe direction for the Christian is to take is forward and upward. That's, that's the only direction we need to be going in the Christian life. And that's my desire and challenge for you all is keep moving forward, keep moving upward. We love you all. <laughs> I can't say it enough. And just thank you. You know, I'd like to say thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being such a good God to us. Thank you for this church.